St. Augustine said in the 4th century that unbelievers do not belong to the city of God. The city of God is the city of light and life. Now, unbelievers may join and do join the visible church, but they do not belong to the invisible. They do not belong to heaven itself. Unbelievers belong to the city of man. The city of man is sin and death. And both cities, the city of God and the city of man, participate in society. Both cities use society for its purpose, to its end, which is the good of mankind. St. Galatius agreed and gave the church the two swords doctrine. The doctrine of the two swords. The two swords doctrine states that the state has the sword of public order for legitimate, temporal, and cultural good, civic matters. The church holds the sword of God's word for divine affairs only. St. Chrysostom agreed and gave us the two kingdoms doctrine. I quote, St. Chrysostom said, The scriptures acknowledge two kingdoms of God, the one by approbation, the other by creation. Thus he is king over all, both Greeks and Jews and, and devils and adversaries in respect of his creation, but he is king of the faithful and willing and subject in respect, in respect of, his, of his making them his own. And the reformers agreed to this two kingdoms doctrine. And I can make quotes all day of reformers quoting the two kingdoms, but for the sake of time, I will quote one as Melville, and I quote this because it's a fun one. Melville, Melville used two kingdoms to submit the king of Scotland to the church. Melville wrote, I quote, to the king, Sir, as diverse times before I told you, so now again I must tell you, there are two kings and two kingdoms in Scotland. There is King James, the head of this commonwealth, and there is Christ Jesus, the king of the church, whose subject James the sixth is, and of his and of whose kingdom he is not a king, nor a lord, nor a head, but a member. The two kingdoms is the doctrine of the church Catholic. It is therefore the doctrine of the Reformed Confessions, and it is the doctrine of God's word, which I will demonstrate from 1 Kings 5. 1 Kings 5. 1 Kings 5 gives us two kingdoms. 1 Kings 5 gives us two kingdoms. It begins, verse 1, chapter 5. Now Hiram... King of Tyre sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in the place of his father, for Hiram always loved David. Hiram loved David. Hiram was friends of David. They were friends. Hiram was a pagan. As a pagan king, Hiram was worshipped as God. That was the ubiquitous tradition of the ancient Near East. And this one worshipped as a god loved David. They were friends. They were friends. Matter of fact, worshiping uh, the servants of the kingdom is what got the ancient church in trouble. You see, the ancient church would seek the welfare of Rome. The ancient church had no problem seeking the welfare of Rome. We had no problem calling Caesar 
the servant of God, the minister of God, even, over the culture. We would eat food sacrificed to idols, but we would not eat it as a sacrifice to idols. We would, we would honor the emperor, but we would not venerate him. We would not bow down to Caesar, and for this, we were fed to the lions. We believe Caesar was God's servant, even though he wasn't Christian. This is two kingdoms. Verse 2, and Solomon sent word to Hiram. Solomon returned the favor. He sent word to Solomon because Solomon and Hiram were friends. Verse 3, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God. Now notice how Solomon talks to Hiram. He's given Hiram, he's, he's given this intimate knowledge to Hiram that Hiram already knows this intimate knowledge. He already knows Israel's politics. He already knows Israel's religion. You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because the warfare, the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under his feet. Hiram knew Israel's religion and politics. Hiram, the pagan, was a friend of Israel. There was a civil authority besides Israel, that befriended, befriended Israel. There was a civil authority beside Israel that befriended Israel. This is two kingdoms. Verse 4, but now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversity nor misfortune. The word rest summons the kingdom of God. The word rest is for the kingdom of God. 2 Samuel 7, God says, I will give you rest, he said to David in the Davidic covenant. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord, declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. You see, rest, rest summons grace. It summons God's grace. Rests, rest, the verb rest summons the covenant of grace, the covenant that God made with Abraham that God would be his God and God to his people. You see, Abraham is the father of the faith. Abraham's the father of the faith. But you remember that other father, Noah? Remember Noah? Noah is the father of humanity. Noah's the father of humanity. Abraham's the father of faith. There are two covenant fathers. Two covenant fathers for two kingdoms. Abraham is the father of the cultic. He's the cultic and spiritual father, and the church is grounded in Abraham. Noah is the father of culture, and he's the natural father. He's the father of the world and humanity. Missoula is grounded in Noah. You see, the Noahic covenant is made with the whole earth, with the universal sign for all. The Abrahamic covenant is made with the elect and a particular sign for the church alone. And we remember Abraham. Abraham didn't separate from the world. Abraham lived with unbelievers. He went to war against unbelievers. He went to war alongside unbelievers. He made transactions with unbelievers, even purchased the land promised to him, bought some of his own land that God had already given him from unbelievers. As far as cultural concerns, he lived and practiced as the world around him. He practiced Noah. He practiced the Noahic covenant with his neighbors. But he did not worship their gods. 
You see, he practiced the Abrahamic covenant. He was distinct in worship. This is two kingdoms. Now, with Moses, the situation changed. And God's people separated from the world, and cult and culture became one. There was no Noah. Cult and culture became one, so culture would exterminate. Culture would exterminate. In the promised land, culture exterminated those who worshipped other gods. Culture exterminated the false cult. All of life, cult, and culture were brought under the covenant of grace. This is one kingdom. No separation of Noah from Abraham. That is what we have in our text with Israel. Verse 5, and so Solomon says, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. Cult and culture together. As the Lord said to my David father, your son whom I will set on your throne in your place shall build the house for my name. Notice the Lord commanded this. You see, in Israel, it was always thus saith the Lord. Culture, thus saith the Lord. Cult, thus saith the Lord. Israel didn't have a constitution. They had Torah. No Noah. Thus, no religious plurality and no tolerance for religious plurality. There was death for those who did not believe in Yahweh. But outside of the land, outside of the promised land, that's all for just, you know, Canaan, Palestine, whatever you want to call it, the borders of Israel. Inside the land, no tolerance. Outside the land, tolerance. Outside the land, Noah. Noah was at play. Noah was not at play inside the land. Noah was in play outside the land. Verse 6, now therefore, and he's talking to Hiram, the pagan king, now therefore command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay for your servants such wages as you set. For you know, notice this, very important text, you can underline this, there is no one among us, no one among God's people who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. When the text says, my servants will join your servants, when God's people will join these pagan people, my servants will join your servants, that's two kingdoms. And when he says, there is no one among us, that's natural law. We don't know how to cut timber like you guys know how to cut timber. The people of God, the Israelites, couldn't cut timber like the unbelievers. The pagans were actually better than the Christians or God's people. The pagans were better than God's people at timber cutting. And they were indeed famous. Lots of ancient texts talk about the experts the expertise in timber that the Sidonians were known for. They were naturally better at timber cutting. You see, God the Creator, God the Creator blessed them. God the Creator blessed them through common grace, natural law, and the art of timber cutting and creating. You see, there's nothing in all creation where God doesn't say, mine. There is nothing in all creation that God doesn't say, mine. But he rules his two kingdoms differently. He rules the world as creator. He rules the world as creator, sustainer, and judge. But he rules the church as redeemer, father, and friend. 
He rules the civic kingdom in such a way that unbelievers can do things even better than Christians. Oh, no. Unbelievers can do things better than Christians? Sometimes they can't. Sometimes they can. You see, he rules the church, though, in such a way that only believers can do it. Only believers can do church. But the natural world, unbelievers can do things naturally better than even Christians. That's the truth of verse 6. You Sidonians know how to cut timber better than us. Therefore, they got to help build the temple of the Lord. Verse 6 means that we don't purify this world with grace to make it useful. That's Rome. Reformed is it's useful because God made it. God made matter. He likes it. He maintains it. He sustains it. He uses it. He works it. Verse 6 means the cultural realm cannot be and should not be deemed Christian. It isn't and can't be so because the civil, the civil kingdom is not part of the covenant of grace. Missoula doesn't belong to the covenant of grace. Starbucks does not participate in the redemption won by Christ, nor does America. America participates in Noah, and I believe, this is just me personally, I believe that the Constitution of these United States of America, by the way, that's how you're supposed to say it, these United States of America, anyway, the Constitution of these United States of America, I believe, is the best use of Noah ever. I believe it. I also believe that the three forms of unity is the best use of Abraham ever. So here at Covenant Reformed Church, you get the best of both worlds. Americans, Reformed. <laughs> Can't beat it. Join it. Verse 7. As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. Now, that's Hiram. Now, life in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, was religious. So just because he's you know, giving praise to Yahweh doesn't mean he's a, a follower of Yahweh. We would know if he was a follower of Yahweh because we would see it. You see the followers of Yahweh in Israel, right? They lived in Israel, <laughs> and they were circumcised. He's just a good pagan. Pagans acknowledged all gods, the gods of other nations. It was no problem. And, and we see that it was no problem for Israel to unite with this pagan nation, Verse 8, and Hiram sent to Solomon saying, I have heard the message that you sent to me. So Solomon sends him this message. They're friends, they're pen pals, they're talking. And he says, I'm ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. And then he makes his demands. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon. I will make it into rafts uh, to go by sea and to place, the place you direct. And I will have them broken up there and you shall receive it. And you shall meet my wishes. So he's given his demands by providing food to my household. So Hiram supplied Solomon with, with all the timber and, and all this food and oil. He catered for Israel. And so in the first time in the Bible, this is an important text because this is the first time in the Bible. This is the first time in the Bible where goods entered Israel from the outside. This is the first time in the Bible where from, from those from kingdoms outside of, the, of Israel are bringing goods inside. And this is the first time in the Bible that goods within Israel are being given to those outside of Israel. 
An outside king is catered for by Israel. This is two kingdoms. And it's radical two kingdoms. Verse 12 says, The Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. And there was peace between him and Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. Hiram the pagan became a covenant partner. That word treaty there is the word covenant. Became a covenant partner with God's people. Now that's radical because Torah forbids Torah forbids the making of covenants with other nations. Torah forbids making treaties with other nations inside the promised land. Not outside the promised land. Outside the kingdom, this covenant is counted by God's word as a manifestation of Solomon's wisdom. It was wise for Solomon to use unbelievers because they were wiser than the believers in timber. That is, civil authorities existed beside Israel. There was a kingdom of God and there was another civil kingdom working together. Two kingdoms, God's kingdom and other legitimate, another legitimate civil authority beside Israel during the height of her golden age. It's two kingdoms. We see two kingdoms again in exile. In exile, the prophets call Israel to seek the welfare of her captures. Jeremiah 29, 5, 6. You can turn there, write it down. Important text. Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7. I'll read it. Jeremiah. This is Israel, the prophet Jeremiah, speaking to the Israelites in Babylon. They're exiled out of the land. They're in Babylon. And Jeremiah, the prophet, says to them, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Jeremiah tells God's people not only to resist the Babylonians, but to fulfill the cultural mandate with them. Israel, out of the promised land, was to live in peace and in common with the Babylonians. Jeremiah 29, 7 goes on to write, but seek the welfare of the city. He tells God's people, and this is important, he tells God's people, seek the welfare of Babylon, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. This is two kingdoms, which is opposed to the one kingdom doctrine. The one kingdom doctrine we find in Torah. Write this down, Deuteronomy 23, verse 6. This is important. Now listen to Torah. This is Torah to God's people in the promised land. You shall not seek the peace or the prosperity of the nations all your days long. In the promised land, through Deuteronomy, you shall not seek the peace or prosperity of the nations within Israel. Rather, the pagans were to be crushed. And once Israel is brought home from exile, now when they come home from the Babylonians and the Persians, and they're back in the land, the prophets return, and the prophets return with a different message. Jeremiah was, seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of Babylon. Then comes Ezra 9. Write that down, Ezra 9, verse 12. This is back in the land. Ezra, the prophet, writes, do not give your daughters to their sons 
Neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong, that you may eat good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. Back in the promised land, it's one kingdom. But with their neighbors, like Hiram, Israel practiced two kingdoms. In exile, two kingdoms. With the surrounding nations, two kingdoms. In the land, one kingdom. Now, where do we belong? Where do we stand in the new covenant? In the new covenant, we're Jeremiah 29. We are called sojourners and exiles for a reason. Like sojourners, we long for a better country that is a heavenly one. We love America. We join its military. Even the Marines, if you're real special. Hoorah, we just had our birthday. I had to say it. But the country we long for, the country we long for, that's what we really long for. The new heavens and the new earth. And the new heavens and the new earth, mind you, is one kingdom. Unbelievers will be crushed. We believe in hell. They will be crushed in hell and removed, removed from the land forever. But for now, we are exiles. We are exiled in a land that is not our own, waiting. And as we're exiles, we separate ourselves religiously, one kingdom. And this church, one kingdom. But we pursue the cultural task alongside the unbelievers in this world, two kingdoms. We're like Daniel. Remember Daniel in Babylon? Who worked for the foreign king? The foreign king that destroyed his temple? The foreign king that destroyed Daniel's temple? He worked for him. But he would not bow his knee to the foreign idols. You see, we seek the prosperity of our society. We honor the emperor. But we protect the gospel. We protect the worship of the church and our covenanted families. The two kingdoms doctrine protects the church. It protects the gospel. It preserves worship. It knows that Christian belongs to those sinners who are redeemed by Christ. Christianity is that for believing sinners. That should be easy for us to understand, but our, our world, our culture is confused on that. How can, how can that be confusing? Christians are Christians. Those of faith and repentance. We, we belong to Christ through the covenant of grace, and since the civil realm has not been brought into the life of the covenant of grace, it is improper to speak of it being Christian. When cultural institutions become Christian, and this happens, study your history, when cultural institutions become Christian, the gospel is confused and watered down by the law on both the left and the right. You see, the gospel gives us Christians rest from our enemies. Christ alone has defeated sin, death, and the devil. His kingdom is victorious even when the kingdoms of this war, world wage war on the church. In Christ, though we are being put to death all day long, we are more than conquerors. In Christ, God will never leave or forsake you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shadow is God's providence, by the way. Though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, that shadow is God's providence. 
so we don't fear the darkness. Perhaps the shadow is the state bearing the sword against you in vain. Nevertheless, even with devils filled, the earth with devils filled, even then, goodness and mercy in Christ, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. It's the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. In Christ, God is your shield and your reward. And no kingdom can destroy that. For no kingdom is is outside of God's hand. There is no kingdom where God doesn't say mine. Even the kingdoms of Antichrist. So Christ is the Lord of life. Christ is the Lord of death. In life we have his presence who gives us rest in this dying world. And in death we have his presence who gives us eternal rest in a kingdom not of this world. And that is your ultimate citizenship, dear Christian. Heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.